0: We also, you know, we've hired Dustin Lameman. We haven't made a whole lot of deal yet about the fact that we've hired Dustin. But Dustin is going to be replacing Peter here uh, in a short while. Dustin is a fantastic young man. I'm grateful that he's going to be our youth and young adults minister. And you haven't had a chance to meet Dustin, most of you, yet. But, uh, you know, it's just like God gave us the cream of the crop here. If, I was to, if someone said to me, you know, who, who are the finest young men that you know, Dustin Lamman would just about be at the top of the list. And I'm just so grateful that God has blessed us with Dustin to come and work with us. Uh, That's going to be exciting to have him here. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2, and then I want to lead us in prayer. 1 John chapter 2. Chris, is the remote still back there somewhere? Robin, is the remote next to you in the pew? It's not. The remote's gone. Anyway, when it's time, Ron, I'll have you... That's okay. Ron, when it's time, there's only two slides, so I'll have you move those forward. It is back there? Okay. That's all right. Ron can do it. Let's pray. Holy Father, I want to thank you for the privilege and blessing we have of being here this morning. God, there's a lot of people gone today. They're all over the place. Uh, Some are still at the fishing uh, time that they had this weekend, and we thank you for the the fun and the blessings that they had uh, yesterday doing that. Uh, some are in the mountains, some are traveling, there's just people all over the place. God, we pray that you'd be with each one as they're out doing uh, what they're doing today. But Father, I pray right now that you'd be with us. I pray that you'd be with us as we think about you, and what you mean to us, our relationship to you, and our connection to you, God, in this world. Lord, this world tends to draw our attention away. And we don't want to be drawn away from you. We want, Father, instead to be fully engaged, to have our hearts and our minds centered on you. And we pray, God, that you would help us to do that. Not just this morning, but every moment of our lives. It's through Jesus that we pray. Amen. Last week I was talking about how I'm scared to death about what is going to happen in the future with our young people. It scares me to think that my grandson, who's two years old, is growing up in a world that is a lot worse than the world in which my children grew up. And when I say worse, I I don't, I don't mean that there's just more sin in the world or something than there was 25 years ago. What I mean is that the things that are attractive to our young people today in terms of drawing them away from Christ from devotion, full-hearted commitment to God, that those things are just more present. They're just around more. They're more evident, they're more accessible. They're more there are more in fact, I think distractions. Maybe not more sin, but more distractions. In terms of what is there for people to grab onto that takes them away from Christ, and it scares me. I've read before the statistic that says that 85% of the kids raised in believing homes, 85% of the kids raised in believing homes in our world right now are going to leave the church upon graduation from high school, never to return. You just think about that for a moment especially if you're a parent. That is a sobering idea. And so I read from Deuteronomy chapter 6 last week talking about how we need to have our our hearts, our souls, our minds devoted to God, to loving Him first. And to have His Word etched in our hearts. the text talked about how when you lie down, you're focusing on his word. When you get up, you're focusing on his word. When you're walking along, you're talking to your children about his word. There's just something about your communication with God that is constant. Your relationship is constant. And he's ever before you. And if we don't have something like that, I'm afraid that the distractions of the world are just going to be too much. There is just too much there. You know, while I'm talking right now, there's a good chance that you've been distracted. I'm not a good enough speaker to hold your attention for every moment while we're up here to this morning. And so already some of you have been distracted. If you get distracted in our assembly when I've been up here for maybe two minutes and you're already thinking about what you're going to do afterwards or what you need to do this week. It just shows how quickly we can be distracted from things that we need to be centered on. And that's a tragedy. It's a heartbreak when you realize that all these distractions are going to draw us away. Well, I'm convinced that something else needs to be the case. All of this would not be a concern to me if, Ron, you want to put the first uh, point up and go one more, one more click there. This wouldn't be of concern to me if God wasn't real. Like, if it didn't matter, if God wasn't real, if he was a fantasy, if he was a myth, if this story wasn't authentic, it wouldn't matter. Like, we could have our kids go and do whatever they're going to do, and who cares? If this is Winnie the Pooh, it doesn't matter. If this is Superman, it doesn't matter. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the living God. We're talking about a God that we believe in who is absolutely real. Who longs to be in touch with us and with our children. And for us to say, well, we put no more stock in this than Santa Claus. That's what affects us. This notion that God is in fact real. And because I believe that God is real, that he's creator, that he's savior, that he wants relationship with his children. If that doesn't happen for our kids, and if it doesn't stay centered for us in our lives, then we have a, an excellent chance, 85%, that our kids are going to end up at the end of life with no relationship with God. And little Easton, who's two years old, I don't want that for him. I want a relationship between God and my grandson. I want your children to know Jesus as Lord and to serve them with all their hearts because he's real. He also, through his son, expresses truth, and Jesus Christ is the truth. That fewer of our children are having faith would not be a concern if believing in Jesus didn't matter. If he was one of a hundred ways to get to God, if you could have a relationship with the Lord through any means possible, then it wouldn't matter that we know Jesus. But I don't believe that. I believe that Jesus of Nazareth uniquely revealed God to us. He said, he said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. And I didn't say that. Jesus said that about himself. And if that's the case, if I believe that, then I want our children, I want my grandson to come to God through Jesus. It is crucial that our children come to worship him and that they worship him alone. A third thing, love, joy, and peace don't come from any other source Than the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't be of concern to me. If we could just find joy and peace anywhere. But that's not the case. If we live apart from Christ. It is likely. In our world today. That addictions. That dissatisfactions. That frustrations. That in some cases. Anger and pain are going to be the lot for our kids. Can you imagine raising a whole generation of kids? 85% who come out of the church, and what they face is a life of dissatisfaction. What they face is a life that doesn't include the profound joy that Jesus gives us. I don't think that's what we want. I know that's not what we want. And so this is a concern to me because I think that the abundant life we have in God is in him alone. Don't we want abundant life for our children? I know we do. We all do. And yet the world seems to say, no, I think I'm going to take them down a different road. You know, this last week, I think I might have mentioned this last week that we'd found a purse out back. I was talking last week about all the things that happened in the back of our building. And one of the things that happened in the last week was we found this purse. And there was a wallet there. There were birth certificates. uh, There were bus tickets, bank cards, driver's license. All that stuff was with this purse. As I found out later, there was $500 that was missing. So we took this in the building, and I sorted all through this and made some phone calls, got a hold of uh, Toronto Dominion Bank, and we were able to track down this girl through Toronto Dominion Bank through her bank card. And I, I honestly expected that this girl would be quite grateful. Thought she would kind of appreciate the effort that we'd gone through to try and track her down and give her what she needed. So uh, she eventually, I I called her, left a message on her phone. She eventually called me back and I was able to to meet her and give her her stuff. But here's what I found. The people who had stolen her purse were known to her. And the reason they stole her purse is because she lives in this druggy. um, debilitating culture in which she is, honestly, I wondered if she was a prostitute. I wondered, in fact, if she had come to Calgary for the sake of the stampede and she was going to do her thing while she's here. And when I met her, it was so clear to me that she had a horrible life, that she was just as rough as could be. She wasn't particularly grateful that I had helped her. She did meet me. But here's what she said. She said, the reason why I need this stuff back so badly is because I need my ID. How can I party during Stampede if I don't have my ID? That was her biggest concern. And I, so, you know, she took the stuff, she wandered off, I went on my way, but as I did, I thought, that's where we are as a society. Our young people are growing up in a situation where they think to themselves, I need my ID because if I don't have it, I can't party the way I want to. And she was frustrated by all that. Well, all that said, here's what I also think I don't think that secular humanism. Or that atheism is the greatest threat to the church and for our children to have faith. We hear that all the time. We live in this culture that's not filled with God. It's not a theistic, God-like culture. And so that could be a threat. I don't think that's the biggest one. All this said, although the fast-growing, fastest growing religious movement in America, in North America, I should say, is Islam. I don't think that's the biggest threat to our children having faith. And all this said that despite the statistics in relation to the numbers of those in the church even who grow up and who live addictive lifestyles and are addicted to pornography and all kinds of things, I don't think that those things are the biggest threat to the church and to our children having faith. I think instead that something else is the biggest threat to our children and to their having faith. Let me just ask you this question. When Christians say that they don't have time to serve in the church, what are they really saying? When one of you thinks to yourself, I just don't have enough time to serve, what is it that you're really saying? When somebody says, I don't have time to spend in prayer the way that I really need to, What is it that you're really saying? When you say financially I don't have enough money to give to the Lord's work. What is it that you're really saying? Isn't it the case that insidiously, secretly almost, silently, even for those who are committed to Christ as fully as they think they want to be, that the world works its way in. And the reason that we say, I don't have enough time to serve the Lord is because the world has dragged us away. It's distracted us into something else. The reason we say, I don't have enough time to pray is because the world has worked its way in and said, "Uh, spend time doing something else. The reason that we don't have enough money to give to the Lord the way we really would like to give is because the world has worked its way in and it distracts us. It takes our attention away. And the very best of us get distracted in these ways. And if you think about it for just a moment, it happens in your life in the same way that it happens in mine. When worship of Christ on Sunday morning becomes kind of optional for us because we know that we don't have to be here, then when something better comes up, aren't we somehow letting the Lord know that we've given a place in our hearts to something else above him? Isn't that just the case? Like, isn't that true? I don't think when I say that that I'm talking about something that doesn't happen at some level for every person in the room, including me. I'm just being honest this morning. I think this is where we tend to be. The world, so, again, stealthily, slyly, works its way in. Satan works his way in. And you can just fill in the blank in terms of what it is in your life that takes the place of the Lord at some point. But the fact is, that there is no place in the life of a Christian for loving something else along with God. You cannot, Jesus said, love God and love mammon. And mammon's really just another word for all the things of this world. The riches of our lives. That so easily distract us from him. You cannot love him and love that Jesus said. And there is a power there. And if you and I don't recognize that power and how it is so attractive. And how it is so sly. And how Satan so badly wants to distract our children from full devotion to him. If we don't see that, then we put not just them at risk, but ourselves, of course, as well. And we just can't love Christ and these things. This is interesting. I don't know if you've ever read the history of what happened in Canada in the 1900s when people came out to the prairies and began to homestead this land. There are some of you, no doubt, in this room who have ancestors who came out here in the 19th century and began to homestead in the prairies. And do you know how they most likely lived? In sod houses. They probably had sticks and straw for a roof. And when they were living out there in Estevan... And it was minus 40 in the middle of winter, they kept themselves warm with the fireplace in their sod house with a dirt floor. Now, if I was them, I would not be so easily distracted by all the wonderful things that I saw around me. Life was tough for those people. But because of that, it was, I think, probably easier for them to to be thinking about heaven. Lord, get me out of here. It's minus 40 and I'm in a sod hut. And it would be easy at that point to be thinking about heaven and I want to go there, I want to be in this place after life. But right now, honestly, aren't there days when you wake up and you look around yourself and you just think, who in the world needs heaven? I've got it right here. Things are so good. And because things are so good, it is so easily to be distracted. Back then with the sod huts, the men had to be men and had to be faithful men. The women had to be men, too. And they had to be faithful because life was not so good. Well, think about this. We had, in the last few weeks, a flood of mammoth proportions. And three weeks later, we can still put on the biggest party of the year. Now, I'm grateful that we can still have Stampede. It's a testimony to our resiliency that our city can fight back from the flood to host the greatest outdoor show on earth. But it's an indicator of just how good we have it when our resources allow us to quickly put on the stampede right after our city has been absolutely devastated by a flood. It's a huge testimony to human resolve. It's a huge testimony to human abilities and human grit. And the motto for the stampede has become for this year what? Come hell or high water. Well, just think about that for a moment. hell really but it's just so easy for us because we have so much at our disposal and again don't hear me say I don't enjoy stampede I did I went the other night it was wonderful I had a great time it was wonderful to experience the midway and all those things and we went to the evening show and it was great I had a great time there. But it is so easy for us to be self-dependent. It is so easy for us to be self-centered. It is so easy for us to be self-worshipful when we have so many things that are at our disposal, ready at hand. And here's the way that John put it. This comes out of Scripture, folks. And so there's got to be a point here to this. I I, I can't just say, well, let's you know, somehow move beyond this and see this all differently. This is what scripture says. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, listen to this line. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. And that's what I want for my grandson. And in a world that so easily distracts and pulls us away, it is frightening to me. To know how easily it is that I can love the things of this world. I know how much I love the things that I have. And if I'm not careful, this stuff will distract me too. You remember what the attitude of the rich young ruler was? He comes to Jesus, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you go sell all your possessions and give them to the poor. That's interesting. I'm not sure that that makes very good economics. The problem was not that this person was wealthy. The problem was he loved what he had. And the text says that when he heard Jesus say that, how did he go away? Sad. He went away sad. And you can't help but but recognize here that he had a question before him. He's got to weigh a couple of things. Is his heart, is his devotion, is it going to be given to Jesus? And if it is, what is it going to cost him? And instead of incredible joy at the aspect of giving himself completely to Christ and being a servant of Jesus, this man goes away, the text says, sad. Which makes me just think, man, he had all this wonderful stuff and he he looked at the Son of God and said, if I have to choose you, Jesus, I'm sad. When exactly the opposite, of course, should be what's happening. That he gets to have Christ. And the life, the eternal life that Jesus offers. Which should fill him with incredible joy. But it doesn't. And that attitude, brothers and sisters, just can't be ours. One other thing, a couple of things I was thinking about this week. As I was reflecting on 1 John 2.15. One is that I know several wealthy people who are christians but amazingly to me they don't seem to love the world they view what they have as blessings from god and i feel like if they lost it all it wouldn't crush them and it wouldn't crush them because they actually love god first with their hearts their souls and their minds the issue is not wealth The issue is not how much do you have or don't have. The issue is where is your heart in relation to what you have? The second thing that struck me was all the people I know who are not wealthy and who crave those things. And the fact is that's probably where most of us are. And we look at the riches and we think, oh, I want that. And we strive for that. And our minds and our hearts are devoted to those things. And so we do spend more time and more effort on those things. And all the while, those who have them are saying, if I lost this all, it doesn't matter because I love God first. And if we love God first, indeed, those things won't matter and so here's the closing line both to the sermon and to first john 2 15 and 17 the world and its desires pass away but the man who does the will of god lives forever let's pray Lord, I believe that the things we have in this world that bless our lives are indeed blessings from you. And so we thank you for them. I thank you that we live in the culture we do. I'm grateful for our clean water. I'm grateful for the places we live. I'm grateful for the cars we drive and the homes we live in, the, the just the, the splendor. Of our time here in existence. You've blessed us like no people in the world. Like no people in history. We have so much more than our ancestors. But God it comes at the price of being distracted. And so Father I pray that all of us who live in this. Such a wealthy culture. Help us not to be distracted. From you. Help us instead, God, to love you with all our hearts, with all our minds, our souls, our strength. Help us to be completely devoted to you. And, Father, I pray especially for our kids this morning. It's so easy for them to be distracted, to be led away. God, we don't want that. We want them to serve and honor you. Help us to serve and honor you as examples. And help us to lead them to faith. We pray these things through Jesus. Amen.